Hello and welcome to Talking Tourism, the podcast series especially for tourism operators and industry professionals. I'm Luke Martin and I'll be your host for today's episode. Talking Tourism is an initiative of Tourism Industry Council Tasmania. TRCT is the peak industry body for the tourism industry in the beautiful state of Tasmania. If you are a regular listener to Talking Tourism, welcome back. If you're a first-time listener and enjoy today's episode, please remember there are now over 100 episodes of Talking Tourism Conversations available from wherever you access your podcasts, or you can simply stream them off the TRCT website at trct.com.au. Today's episode is brought to you by our partner, the Department of State Growth. The Department of State Growth brings together four interrelated divisions, developing a strategic approach that drives economic growth and supports the community, industry and business in the creation of jobs and opportunities for Tasmanians. Thanks to the Department of State Growth and the Tasmanian Government for their generous support of TRCT and for helping to make this episode of Talking Tourism possible. And now, let's get into it. And I'm joined today by Nick Wright. Nick's the general manager of two pretty iconic uh, um, hotels, particularly in northern Tasmania, Penny Royal Hotel and Apartments. And But prior to that, he's worked uh, throughout the industry and um, has a lived experience as a GM from two very different spectrums of the industry uh, around the lived experience of COVID. So, g'day, Nick. Good morning to you. Thank you for having me. Now, I will begin. When I knew I did this, I did something that I've wanted to do for a long, long time. I spent a night at uh, the Penny Royal Hotel, first time in my life, at my kid's <laughs> bequest, because uh, it is all the rage, Penny Royal, when we're in Launceston. And I said, oh, we can stay there. And uh, sure enough, we stayed in the uh, the um, one of the apartments above the reception in the, you know, down the near the pub end, not not up in the, the, the Penny Royal world down the bottom end. So I had the full Penny Royal experience the first time and I think I ticked off a few childhood bucket lists myself. So it is a an iconic uh, Tasmanian hotel. And you It is well fantastic. I mean I wish I'd known that in advance. I don't, no, 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 no. I don't tell people when I'm visiting. It's like secret shopping. And also my kids, if they trash the room, I don't want them to, don't want to be embarrassed. So let's unpack this. Um, the second job, I didn't mention the intro, and let's let's go back there. You were appointed general manager of the iconic Islington Hotel in Hobart on November 2019. Now, Islington is a, a gold standard, one of probably leading hotels in Australia, a gold standard bearer for the Tasmanian tourism industry. You took it over into November 19. And what, three months later, we get whacked with COVID. What, well, it was, it was even before that. I mean, we had the bushfires, first of all, and um, the bushfires just devastated the forward bookings for us And um, when I was at Islington. And then um, just we got back on top of that and then COVID hit. So it was, it was a double whammy. So, yeah, and also Islington has a pretty heavy international market focus as well and obviously the first first out were the international visitors so um just take me through that so a normal summer for islington would have been full um 100 percent occupancy and and you know you take them on this new job and then literally weeks later you hit with these double whammies and your summer's completely shot just take me through what was his life from an operational perspective well um i'd sort of just moved back from south pacific to take up the role um so from uh from Vanuatu to Hobart to take up the role at Islington, which I'd known from uh, previous experience. And um, beautiful property, you're right, absolute gold standard. And um, it was a fantastic opportunity to take a great property forward. And uh, just sort of taking it over, getting my feet under the table, so to speak. And uh, the the bushfires hit. And uh, we had a big international market, particularly out of North America. And basically, they thought all of Australia was on Mm. fire, the way things were getting reported. And just the cancellations were coming in left, right and centre. So you're right, the hotel would have been full 
um, for for a large part of the the summer season, but uh, it just devastated. You know, it halved it easily overnight, and so it was just a sort of a bit of a struggle, but that we thought we could get back, claw our way back from, uh, and we were just starting to do that, and then COVID sort of came along in in sort of February. We started hearing about it, obviously, and then March it really hit with full force. So, and I, I remember through Islington, I didn't hear that, didn't try to stay open through winter, the months of COVID, and when it reopened, did it try to get a Tasmanian yeah, we, market? No, so we uh, closed it, I think it was somewhere around about the um, 19th of March, and sort of when everything just went into shutdown, lockdown, and then we reopened in uh, June, around the long weekend. It, it was sort of, it was initial burst for the first couple of weeks. But it didn't quite meet expectations. But um, we did sort of push our way forward through that, and then sort of closed it during the week, and then stayed open on weekends because it's just the weekdays. There was just no no business whatsoever. Luke would go backwards even further. Yeah, and a big operation to keep the restaurant in the F and B. Exactly. Yeah, the, the just the F and B service at the level people would expect for that price point. So. Yep. Uh, and then September, so you, you pack up and you move to the North Estate and I'm general manager of the, <laughs> <laughs> the Penny Royal Hotel and Apartments. So two very different market, obviously, that'd be very much geared towards rough and tumble families like mine. Firstly, they would have had a pretty heavy winter as well, so you would have been walked, walking into a, a pretty disrupted business. Well, sort of, you know, had to close one hotel down, get it back open again, sort of get it back on its feet, and we did that. Uh, and then the owners of Islington decided to list it for sale, so... Mm. Um, for me, I sort of I didn't want to go through that process. Yeah. So uh, an opportunity came up here to come up and manage Penny Royal, and uh, they reached out to me, and uh, so I moved up here to Launceston and took over Leisure in Penny Royal. You're quite correct; it's a different type of property. Again, it's quite iconic, much larger property, but a different sort of market segment that it sits in. It's quite a unique hotel too because it's it's got hotels. Hotel rooms at one part, which you mm. stayed in, uh, and then the apartments up at the Adventure Park, and about two hundred metres apart. So it's it's effectively two hotels in one. When you when you took it in, I mean, through the winter months, they they stayed open. Uh, didn't didn't try and do any quarantine or anything, did they? They literally tried to no. trade through on leisure. And what I mean, what did you walk into? Um, well, I wouldn't say it was a mess. But there was definite challenges when I sort of got here. It was it was sort of like there was a lot to do. Um, I mean, I'm very details-oriented. And coming from a hotel like Islington, um, you know, to here, it's a very big jump in a lot of ways. But I could see the potential in the property. The, the hotel's always traded well historically. It's done very, very well historically. Um, so it's always got a – a lot of people know it. It's, yeah. People in Tasmania just know it. Yeah. So it sort of sells itself in a lot of ways. Uh, so what I went about was looking at what opportunities do we have to rebuild the brand, focus on the local Tasmanian market, and really get those numbers back up. So we went about a holistic approach. So it was looking at the rooms, where we can spend money to improve, what things that we can focus on in terms of our service. We looked at rates. So we were actually successfully able to raise our rates during the, the middle of the pandemic because I was looking at it and I'm saying, well, we're clearly we're leaving money on the table. Uh, in some cases, we even lift our apartment rates by 40%. The hotel by the end of the, the year, uh, calendar year uh, had actually finished about 500000 ahead of budget. So, so step me through that again. This is a three and a half, three, three and a half, four star 
leisure-focused okay. property in the middle of COVID yep. in regional Tasmania and you stepped up your rates and you improved yes. the bottom line. Correct. Yeah. So what we did as a, as a result of, we looked at it, I said, I've got a background in revenue and distribution. So I looked at it and I'm going, okay, well, where are we leaving money on the table? In many cases, we couldn't reduce costs and we didn't put anyone off. We sort of, we didn't make anyone redundant. Um, we did reduce hours for the casuals, but then once things improved, we were able to improve their hours. But what we looked at was for our apartments, for instance, they were clearly undervalued for what they are. Mm. And there's not that many apartments really in Launceston as a market. So I was going, okay, well, if I was a person traveling, how much would I be prepared to pay for a one, two, three, four bedroom apartment? And then we revisited our pricing and uh, played around with it a little bit, went up, went down and very much implemented a, a dynamic pricing strategy, just like airfares, and uh, found the sweet spot, and it's worked very well for us. And we've just held that across the year, and by and large, we've sort of held approximately 20% above our budget ADR for the month uh, on any given month across the year. So, and some of those initiatives, the the, uh, the embrace of intrastate travel when the borders were closed, the vouchers, did you, you know, leverage that, obviously, as, a, again, a family leisure-based property? Yeah. We did. Um and the particular, the last tranche of the vouchers, the ones um, focusing on South Australia, Queensland, etc., mm. we found that they were the best for us. That last tranche right before Christmas, um, we found that they really were very successful for us because the first two, the first two rounds, I guess, there were a lot of there was a lot of confusion. A lot of people were disgruntled because they missed out. Yeah, um, and so it was a bit of there was a bit of up and down with it, but I found that the the last tranche right before Christmas was very successful for us. I think the sense is uh, the the Tasmanian local one was a good incentive for people to get out to the regions, and uh, and like the the regional operators benefited much from that. And the uh, as you say, the the one before Christmas with the folks in the state traffic probably helped the inner city hotels a little bit more, which is probably fair enough. Well, uh, don't get me wrong; I think it was a fantastic initiative. I mean, I'm all for it. Um, if you don't try these things, you don't know. Yeah. So um, I th- I'm all for it and it's benefited some people. In some ways, we did benefit too. So it's it's just been a very difficult you know, process for all of us. And government's been making up policy on the run just because they've had to. Yeah. Uh, and I think they've done, overall, they've done a fantastic job with that. Um, and uh, one of the other things you did was you've partnered with other people. You've offered some, tried to offer the value add to guests. What What's that looked like? Yeah, so... That. We, we don't um, operate the Adventure Park ourselves directly. That's uh, separate management. And the on-site restaurants and bars are also separate management. But what we do is we've partnered with them so that there's an additional value add uh, as a point of difference. Because um, one of the unique selling points is obviously having an on-site Adventure Park yeah. and being right next door to Cataract Gorge. Yeah. So. When I came in, I really honed in on those messages, you know, the proximity to Cataract Gorge, being walk up, you know, right next door to it, and the on-site adventure park, and using those as unique selling points to actually justify our rates, the rates that we charge. And um, working with the on-site providers such as Pennyroll Adventures and said to them going, okay, well, how can we improve traffic for you and the value um, value proposition for our guests. And so we came up with a show your room key and save 10% when they show their room key at their bench park. And the same thing with the leader restaurant, which is um, a re- only open within the last year. 
um, and one of uh, Launceston's hottest new restaurants. So that's here in the Adventure Park itself. Well, you, you almost expect, I think, when you're, I mean, as a consumer, if you're doing the, the you know, the Googling, if you, whether you're a Tasmanian, certainly you'd, you'd, you'd assume that there is a direct correlation. People expect it's the same owner, I imagine. Um, just the way and, yeah, and that, and that does cause us some problems at times. Um, but at the same time, too, we've, We've really refined our communication. Uh, both we, we use a lot more. We've improved technology across the year. In fact, we've just put in a whole new booking system. So we're uh, interacting with, I guess, a lot more before they arrive, telling them things to do, um, giving them opportunities to check in, um, and just sort of saying, you know, this is the sort of activity or this is the bonus you get or this is our location. And then once they're on site, they've got a lot more either in-room or pre-arrival uh, communication. And then we're also communicating with them after departure. So our guest review scores, our NPS scores, have actually almost doubled year on year. Wow. Also, at the same time, while well, we've uh, lifted rates. So, yeah, so it's a, a holistic. Story. Yeah, it's a holistic process. Yeah, and your marketing, um, the marketing through the process, so obviously pretty aggressive uh, through, you know, the distribution channels, I imagine, booking.com. Do you... Do you what else? What else do you practically invest your marketing dollars in? Is it travel travel guides, travel ways? Is it uh, wait wait? Because you kind of got this funny market mix as well about you are t- iconically yeah. Tasmanian. So there's a lot of interstate travel. There's probably a lot of decision making happening on the ground. Yes. But then you've obviously got some aspirational uh, uh, interstate uh, traffic as well. Well, the whole ball game, the whole I say ballparks shifted. You know, the goalposts have moved. So we've had to realign our whole marketing and sales strategy. Uh, at the same time, we've really focused on the direct is best message. And we're now getting anywhere between 40 and 50% of our bookings any given month direct. That's excellent. So, which is fe- fantastic. And that's where and you get the incentives? Mu- is that is that the hook? How are you getting people to make that yes. decision? Is it, yeah, because we're, because, of our, because of our pre-arrival communication, because we've got an extensive database of guests that have stayed with us for a long period of time. Now, many people... Um, come here as kids because the property's been around for forty odd up to forty odd years. Yeah. They've come here as kids and they bring their kids back when they're when they've got their own families, and so it's got a long history. And we've re- we've really worked hard to build on that and sort of re I guess engage with that demographic um, and use the data that we've got here that we hadn't necessarily monetized before. The full suite of of that. Playing up that whole a broader experience, you can just see it on your I'm looking at your website as we're talking, and you can just see they've got this full selling the whole product experience in its own right, and yes. and you are far more than just a hotel, and that's your point of difference in the market, and you're obviously capitalising on that you know a romantic, you know, nostalgic concept that people have, or indeed the fact that they they're attracted to the fact that you offer more than just a just a bed. Um, it is a is a real capitalisation of of what the product is, and that's it. I mean, we've worked we've worked hard to fo- focus on the areas we looked at. I very much focus on guest review scores and uh, things like TripAdvisor. I mean, I learned that very much when I was at Islington. I took it uh, to four top ten spots on TripAdvisor in Australia, yeah. uh, in different categories, and. Um, I looked at what we were doing here, what people were saying, the good and the not so good. And there were opportunities there, whether it was around beds, whether it was around in-room lighting, whether it was around things that we could control, uh, consistency across cleanliness. So we worked very hard to focus on all of these areas. We spent easily 100000 in the last six months alone just putting in new beds and new 50-inch TVs. Uh, we've got a considerable amount that we're going to be spending this year as well across a, lo- a number of different areas. So we're constantly working to improve the property to take it forward and justify our price points 
Um, and yes, we've worked hard to move away from being a, I guess, value-driven proposition in terms of rates and discounting to be a um, experience-based uh, proposition. Awesome. Given you know the proximity to Cataract Gorge and a leader and Venture Park and all of that, to justify the high, these high price points that we sort of moved to. All right. Uh, before we move off the uh, the incentivising, though, I will notice I. I I know about half a dozen operators who do this and they all swear by it, and that is the free petrol voucher. It is an uh, absolute yes. gem. Is that the most taken up benefit to book direct? Or, and it is a, no, a little gem? No, no. no. What is? It's, it is? It does work for us. Yeah. It's very seasonal. Yeah. Uh, obviously, given the, the sort of the, these, this time of year with the warmer months, it does work for us, but I wouldn't say it's enormous most of ours is just direct bookings on regular rates and um we've got 11 different room categories to choose from all the way up to four bedroom apartments so it's sort of people just like having that option so whether it's a hotel room or whether it's a four up to a four bedroom apartment so we just sort of got many markets covered there many options covered there for the different type of traveler um so we're having this conversation mid-February. What expectations for the next six months? It's we're in a really funny moment um, when we're having this conversation. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know when this will go uh, be released. Hopefully, it won't be quite so uncertain. We'll, we'll have a bit more clarity. But certainly, the position we're talking at the moment—it's a day-by-day proposition, a bit. Or, or are you feeling a bit more um, bullish about the year? What's what's the expectations for the property, and what do you think for Launceston generally? Northern tourism. Well, I think I think Launceston's got a very bright future. I mean, since I've been living here, the flight paths to come on from uh, well, temporarily, temporarily uh, postponed at the moment. But obviously, we had Perth, Gold Coast, and other Adelaide Direct. That's just going to bring a, a, a huge amount of additional sort of traffic in in the long term if that's you know maintained. Um, we've City of Gastronomy with UNESCO uh, in terms of Launceston. Uh, and then new restaurants opening here and all the different festivals and things that are happening. I think Launceston's got a very bright future. Yeah, so so do I. It's it's kind of, I think, uh, the couple of years pre-COVID and a couple of the other pro- products that have opened up over the last few years just turned attention to the city and, the, and as you say, the, the gastronomic um, recognition. I think people are taking another look at Launceston and pretty impressed by what they see in its own right. Exactly, exactly. All right, and for the property? What's for the, the property, ahead? for the property itself, um, I mean, we we're sort of trying to do trying to do a forecast at the moment is just like throwing darts at a yeah. you know wall. Uh, <laughs> so it's just best guess. But at the moment, we sort of now that the worst of Omicron is behind us, we start we're seeing a surge again. So I've just reforecast us up twice uh, in terms of revenue and rates for this month alone. Um, and we're holding our forecast for March and April at the moment until we get closer to it because we're seeing up to 40% of our bookings now coming within two weeks prior to arrival. So it's very hard. People are just move, moving oh, everything right. to last minute. So it's very hard to actually forecast. Book, booking patterns have changed. Hey, how are you and handling uh, cancellation policies? We've been very flexible. Um, so basically what we did is we had typically had a 48-hour cancellation deposit policy um, we've maintained a uh, 48 hours cancellation policy now, but we did move it during the worst of COVID to 24. Mm, uh, however, we're not charging people at the, just temporarily at the moment until 24 hours before arrival. So we're being a bit more flexible on our deposit policy. So we've shown some flexibility and by and large, people have responded very well to that. And we've had a lot of people actually rebooking. Yeah. 
So um, we haven't upset the apple cart there, but some people just, you know, even they might want to cancel 6 p.m. on the day of arrival. Man, and, it's challenging. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's, it's a fine line between, uh, you know, understanding we're in a disruptive world and not completely, uh, um, and people's I think, expectations, they can be instantaneous and, uh, and uh, you know, there's no one on the other side of the transaction that's uh, losing money. Exactly. All right. Um, now, so we, I mean, we'd have a lot of op- accommodation operators, small accommodation operators, um, you know, smaller than probably your property, who'd be sitting there listening. And from the perspective of a general manager of a property who's managed to successfully grow the bottom line and the profit margin of their accommodation business through COVID, what is the one yep. big tip you would give them right now? What is the one thing they should absolutely be doing, getting right, focusing on, spending time on? I would say look at your data. We've made a lot more data-driven decisions. Look at the, a lot of different properties obviously booked in different ways. Some are being booked, whether it's through Airbnb or through booking.com. Um, look at the data and sort of see what when people are booking, how they're booking, where people are coming from, because there's a lot of information that can be provided to you. And look at that even direct through your property systems direct. Look at the data that you've got and start tailoring your rates and your packages around when people are booking and how they're booking. So one of the things that we did, for instance, was we noticed that there was a people wanted the confidence and the flexibility of booking direct um, because they had they didn't have to go through a third party trying to cancel it and go through all the all the difficulty of that at times. And so we noticed more and more people were coming direct. And so we tailored our, uh, our rates to be more competitive in terms of direct and really focused in on the messaging, direct is best, and that we can offer you, you know, some things that you might not be able to get through third parties. You also mentioned as party data, knowing your, uh, your your past visitors and tapping into that resource as, as effectively as you can, your database. Exactly. Past, especially if you're an established property has been around a long time, which a lot of our listeners would be. Exactly. I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, as, as managers, as property operators, you've got so many things coming at you. Uh, whether it's managing, sometimes it's like adult daycare between managing your staff and your guests. So you've got so many things coming at you, you've been pulled in different directions and you've got to sort of find a way to sort of break it down and focus on what's going to make, give me the biggest bang for my buck and what's what's going to be make the biggest impact to my business. And that's that's what you look at. That's what you spend the time looking at rather than gut feel. Base your decisions on actual hard data. Yeah, good tip. All right, Nick, are you ready for the big seven questions? <laughs> I am. <laughs> um, brace yourself. <laughs> Favourite spot in Tasmania and why? I like up around the lakes. I think it's um, a real hidden gem. Yeah. I think a lot of a lot of people know now more and more those, whether it's the coastal drives or whether it's, um, you know, Bruny Island and things like that, But I, and, and even Crater Mountain, but the lakes are still very much a hidden gem, so I like the peacefulness up there. Yeah, beautiful. Favourite travel destination anywhere in the world? Um, Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka, yes. Uh, I've been there five times. Wow. Uh, I lived in Asia for a few years as well, so I got to see, and I was um, previous role many years back, I was managing Asia Pacific, so I got to got to travel around quite extensively. Um, but Sri Lanka is still my favourite because there's so much to do there and there's a lot of – it's still – it's a beautiful country. It's sort of like Bali used to be, say, 30, 40 years ago. And um, the beaches on the east coast are like the Maldives without the $5,000 a night price tag. Uh, any comparison to our island destination that would – good or bad? Is there one thing that we could learn from Sri Lanka? Um, 
Well, Sri Lanka is about the size of Tasmania as an island. Population. The population of Australia. Yeah. Um, and it's it's quite a diverse uh, – it's got quite a diverse tourism market as well, um, very much cultural. They're very they're very well tuned into their cultural um, their the cultural aspects there, and that's probably an area that Tasmania could do a bit better. So the the cultural the history here of Indigenous Australians in Tasmania, I think that's perhaps a potential area that could really be honed in on. Yeah. Okay, let's keep going. We, we get you back. I think we can get you back for a Sri Lanka episode too. That's, I'm quite fascinated <laughs> by Sri Lanka as a country. Someone coming to Tasmania for the very first time in their lives, apart from doing the uh, the adventure ride, uh, jump over the um, the bungee jump down um, at the adventure park, which my kids yes. did the other day. Uh, yes. What is the one thing they absolutely must experience uh, when they're here? What do you tell them? Well, I think here in Tamar Valley, the wine region. Um, Tama Valley is, again, not as well known as, say, somewhere like the Barossa Valley. Um, I think that there's a lot to see and do here in the Tamar Valley, especially around the wines and the sparkling aspect of it. So I'm increasingly encouraging guests when they stay with us to go out and experience the Tamar as a region, uh, particularly the vineyards and um, and all the great gourmet gourmet. Delights here. Like I mentioned it's just absolutely freaking beautiful up the uh, Tamar Valley. It's a gorgeous one. It is. Yeah. It's easy drive too. You're walking the Overland track. Have you done the Overland? I haven't. No. No. But on the it is list. on my to-do list. And when you do yes. it, uh, three people, uh, living or dead, famous or not famous, who are you going to take with you? This one I put a bit of thought into actually. Um, I've kind of gone for all fascinating uh, and inspiring Aussies. Um, who are living? Yeah, um, and I've gone for Ash Barty. Yep, for a lot of obvious reasons. She's uh, she's just she's just a remarkable person. Seems with like a great a, story. Seems like an extraordinarily and, grounded young woman, doesn't she? Just, correct. Just amazing. Correct. Uh, the uh, Dr. Daniel Noir, um, Young Australian of the Year. Yep. I think his story with founding sort of the the. Um, the streetside medics to help vulnerable and homeless people is just absolutely an amazing thing. Such a young guy with such a great dream and, you know, giving so much of himself to help people that have so little. Deserves, uh, a trip yeah. on the, deserves a walk on the overland. Yeah, uh, just someone like that, you'd go, well, what is inspiring you to do something like this? Yep. And um, and the third would be Harry Garside, the Olympic boxer. I saw an interview. Wow. Um, yeah, I saw an interview with him a couple of weeks ago. I think it was on the ABC, and I was just, just he's like an old man in a young man's body, and um, just fascinating, uh, fascinating. I just, uh, just found him remarkable and uh, very inspiring. So he's definitely someone that I could, you know, learn from. Excellent. All right, you are road tripping around Tasmania uh, up the Tamo Valley. Uh, what's yeah. the soundtrack? Well, it's classic Australian. Um, classic Aussie pub so, rock? Yeah, well, Midnight Oil, Hooter mm. Gurus, Jimmy Barnes, Farnham, that sort of thing. Um, so I think that's the, I think that's great for a road trip around Australia. Beautiful. I bet you heard Midnight Oil across the property the other night uh, did. too, didn't you? <laughs> <was straight>, <laughs> and funny, funny story about that. One of my uh, younger front office uh, colleagues she actually asked me, she goes, who's Midnight Oil? Oh, dear. <laughs> she had to go Googling, made me feel very old. Oh, dear. All right. <laughs> uh, right. Um, now, when you arrive at your destination uh, up the Tamar Valley, is it wine or is it a, another tip of choice? It's definitely going to be wine. I'm a fan of uh, the, a good old Pinot Gris. 
So, you know, nice, nice light, white. Yes. Beautiful. And the big one, the big debate, runs 50-50, very controversial, mm. Tasmanian <laughs> scallops, curried, culinary delight or culinary crime? I would say it depends on the pie because I've had a bit of both. <laughs> um, I would say if it's a nice flaky sort of pastry and a not too overpowering curry, it would be a delight. So, you want to still taste those scallops. So it's a high-quality culinary uh, delight, uh, Tasmanian curried scallops. All yes. right, beautiful. Thank you. Nick, uh, congratulations. Sounds like, a, as I say, it's a captivating example of a of a – a 40-year-old iconic Tasmanian property that in 12 months through the most disruptive and challenging market conditions you've managed to grow and increase its profit margin and increase its revenue. It's an amazing achievement. You should be very proud of yourself. Um, thank you for your time. Um, thank you. Thank you to everyone for listening to today's episode of Talking Tourism. Remember to subscribe to hear more episodes as we release them every two weeks or so. And also, please think about a tourism colleague or friend uh, and encourage them to check them out if you found something in this episode or any of the others that they would find useful. Talking Tourism is an initiative of Tourism Industry Council of Tasmania. I'm your host today, Luke Martin, and we'll catch up next time.